Please be seated. So we are uh, doing a sermon series, uh, and we're sort of looking at the way in which the life of Moses in Exodus parallels the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And I'm talking about stories, the power of stories, the power of narrative. These are how humans understand ourselves and our world. It's through story. It's through narrative. Where do I come from? How, what, that's where I find my identity. What life is supposed to be about? Where do I derive meaning and purpose? Where is my story heading into the future, right? And there are lots of stories to choose from. There's lots of ways we can shape our lives. Most of the minor stories I'm telling myself throughout the day are not great. So we're trying to learn as a congregation how to maybe take our lives and our stories and embed them find ourselves in this larger story of God, right? And we're going to do this in part by looking at the life and some of the stories of Moses, how they parallel Jesus, and how our lives might intersect with these individuals, right? The Christian story, the story of God is so powerful. It really does let us know where we come from. Like we're children of God, not here by accident, but created by God, loved by God. Here, in some ways, to love and serve the world, right? The great commandment, which gives mission and it gives purpose. And we have a sense, uh, like when we talk about eschatology, right? Like ugh, the nerdy theological word for like what God's up to, where God's taking us into the future. So I have a sense of where my story is going, like this kingdom of God that I get to participate in now, that is breaking through now. Like what other story would you want to use to frame your life, Right? A story that tells you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live as a slave anymore. That you're free. A story that tells you that selfless love is in fact the way of our salvation. The road of the cross is the road of our salvation, right? That I don't have to wait till I die when I think about like, what am I being saved from? What am I being saved for? I don't have to wait till I die to figure that out, but like the kingdom of God is here in this room, in this moment. I get to participate in my salvation if I'm willing to live into the way of Jesus, live into the way of God. That's what freedom looks like. That's what, be, that's what deliverance looks like. That's what salvation looks like, and I want that story. It's just not intuitive. Like when I stop giving thought and energy to it, I start caring a lot more about what people think of me, my own anxieties and insecurities, my own fears, my own greed, what I'm going to buy, what vacation I'm going to take. And all of that generates a sense of stress and anxiety and enslavement, right? All right, so let's, let's look at Moses, let's look at Jesus, and then we're going to come back to our own lives. We okay with that? So we've, we talked about Moses' birth under duress Pharaoh killing male children and the Hebrew midwife saving Pharaoh. And we said, look how that parallels Jesus. Herod is killing male children. Jesus has to escape with Mary and Joseph to Egypt. They're delivered by the Magi, right? Very similar. You talk about the Israelites having to go through the water, delivered through the water, become the people of God through the water as the, as the Egyptians are chasing them to the Red Sea and they go through the water and become the people of God on the other side. And you have Jesus 
saying yes to God's call through the water of baptism. Many of us become citizens of God's kingdom through the act of baptism, right? A new identity, drowned and come up new creatures. And what happens right after the water? Israel's tempted. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We should have just went, we should have stayed slaves in Egypt if you were going to bring us out here to starve to death, Moses, right? Desert temptations. What happens right after Jesus' baptism? He's led out into the desert to be tempted. Israel's tempted 40 years in the desert. Jesus, 40 days. See the parallel? Turn stones to bread, Jesus. Feed yourself, right? This is, this is exactly what Israel's going through, these temptations in the desert. And Jesus is able to reframe those temptations using Scripture. And right after these desert temptations, we get the law. We get the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, and we get the new law of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, right? The law coming from the mountain, from God. And we talked last week about the purpose of the law. Like, why does this matter? Why is it important? And in part, I argued the law is here to give you an abundant life. The law is here to help you flourish. The law is not here to keep you a slave. It's the opposite. If I do whatever I want, if I live however I want, I'm a slave to my desires. I'm a slave to the moment. The law... The law of Moses and the law of Jesus is here to say, you don't have to live like that, right? The, when love pervades your life, that's when you have real freedom. So the law is here to help us live a flourishing and abundant life. Okay, so we have these parallels. I want to talk about another one. So this is my congregational question. Uh, I have two, actually. This is, for, this is an easy one. Only one person really gets to answer. So Moses is called by God to go back to Egypt, right? So Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. He flees after he kills one of the Egyptians, and he's sort of like a nomad now. And God calls Moses back to Egypt for what purpose? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's what should be over our bathroom here, to let his people go. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> You haven't fired me yet. Uh, but that's, that's really what Moses gets called for, right? That's what he's to do. He's to go to Egypt to set the Israelites free, to deliver them from the yoke of slavery of the Egyptians. That's what Moses is to do. It's about deliverance. It's about salvation. It's about liberation, right? That's Moses' call. So we read in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. When the Lord saw that Moses was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses. And Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters, and I know their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that is full of milk and honey, a place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. 
Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses goes as a deliverer to break the chains of bondage. And this is exactly the role that Jesus plays. Moses 2.0, right? Moses is a lawgiver and Jesus is a lawgiver. And Moses is a deliverer and Jesus is a deliverer. And the author of Matthew is trying to make clear to those early Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is going to, to complete what Moses started, what you've all been waiting for. We will be delivered and we will be set free. Right? So the Messiah is coming to break every chain, every yoke, to be the liberating force that we all desire. I, w- I could read many passages. I want to read one from Galatians chapter 5, framing Jesus in this way. So hear the words of Paul from Galatians. Christ has set us free. Therefore stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. Look, I, Paul, am telling you that if you have yourselves been circumcised, having Christ won't help you. Again, I swear to every man who has himself circumcised that is required to do the entire law. You people who are trying to be made righteous by the law have been estranged from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness through the spirit of faith. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't matter in Christ Jesus, but faith working through love does matter. I'm going to stop. This is like a big deal for first century Jews. Like, oh, you, you want to be Christian? You want to you enter this fold? You have to be circumcised, right? Because we, we had to get circumcised. If I got to get circumcised, you got to get circumcised. Like, that, that was no fun. What do you mean I got to do it and they don't have to do it, right? Like, this is a big argument. It sounds, like, for us, it might seem silly. Like, of course it doesn't matter. But for them, this was like a huge way in which you displayed your faithfulness to God. You, like, you enter into this covenant with Yahweh. And, and Paul's just trying to say, you're making a huge deal over, like, all of these nitpicky things. But the moment you make people get circumcised, you're under all of the law, Right? You're under, you're under a way of being that immediately leads to death, to despair, because you can't live up to it. Like, it, it's, grace is gone. So stop worrying about those things and start putting love to work. Man, do I want to tell that to, like, every Christian I meet, including myself. Why are we hung up on this other stuff that divides that generates over a thousand different denominations in the United States alone, why that stuff and not just love putting itself to work? Amen, I'm right? Because we don't, like, I don't feel free. I feel bound. I feel oppressed. I feel like maybe even, like, to be Christian is to be oppressive. Like, I don't get to do what I want. Like, when I was young, like, I'm Christian. I, I feel oppressed by it. I don't get to party I don't get to drink. I don't get to sleep with my girlfriend, or I'm not supposed to. Uh, And so, like, there's a sense of, like, if I'm going to feel this way, then you're going to feel this way, too. You're going to get circumcised, too. 
you're going you're gonna to follow the law too. Because when I was younger, I didn't experience Christ. I didn't experience God as a liberating force that said, you get to live a wonderful, adventurous, flourishing life. I saw it as a hindrance. And if that's how you experience the kingdom of God, then you're going to want to demand other people live that way too. It's the older sibling who's upset that the younger sibling doesn't have the same rules. Like, what are you talking about? I had to do that. Mom and dad let you do what? Right? This is human nature. I had to do it. You should have to do it. We don't celebrate, like, thank goodness mom and dad eased up, right? We don't celebrate with our younger siblings, like, oh, whew, good for you. No, no, we're like, no, 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 no. Oh, they're going to go easier on you? Then I'm going to go harder on you. That's human nature. That's what we do. For us to experience the freedom that Christ offers, we have to see the kingdom we have to see the way of God not as some oppressive list of rules we have to follow. We have to see it as like love breaking every chain, liberating us, because then I want to share that with other people. Then I want other people to experience that freedom. Circumcision is nothing. All the little rules we create as Christians are nothing. It's love putting itself to work. Let me continue in Galatians. This continues the passage. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in this statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many times does the Bible have to say that statement? How many times before we realize that is our only creed? That's it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what freedom looks like. The way of God is the way of freedom. But uh, like the Israelites, I often say, you know what? I'd rather go back to Egypt and stay slaves. That's what we think, right? Okay, so I'm going to ask my second question. This is the more important congregational question. And I'm going to have as many of you share out as you want. You can just say one word, two words, whatever, right? Moses comes to deliver Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians. Jesus comes to deliver us from sin, from darkness, from loneliness, right? We are here to be set free. So, what are the things that keep us in bondage? Good. Fear. Because that, if I'm, when I'm afraid, I'm stuck. And Yeah. <laughs> Change. Yeah, good. Uh, like, no thank you, mostly, right? What else keeps us stuck, keeps us in bondage? Greed? Yeah, right? Uh, greed makes me closed-fisted, like tight, like, oh, it's mine. But then I become a slave to my stuff. Because now i got to insure it and worry about it and complain about it. Desire? I can be, it's like desire holds me in slavery, especially when I listen to it and I just do whatever it tells me. It feels free, I guess, for a second. And then you realize, like, I don't control my desire. My desire controls me, right? What else? Yeah, yeah. A desire to fit in, peer pressure, uh, the need for approval keeps me enslaved. Because then I can't really be myself. I can't really be Joe because I'm scared you won't like that person. So I put on a mask. That's slavery. That's self-imposed slavery. I'll pretend to be someone I'm not so that you like me. That's real. I do it all the time. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, jealousy, right. 
They have what I don't have. I lost something that I want. Like, those feelings keep me shackled. Chris? Oh, nice, yeah. Like, my world is so small, I can't even conceive of what is possible, what God could do. I, I can only see this. That's, you see how you're trapped? This is every, I mean, Israel can only see this. They can't even, like, I'm hungry. Let's go back and be slaves so we can be fed. That's, that's called a lack of imagination, right? Yeah, Shelly. Good, anxiety and worry, stress, slaves. I'm a, you're chained. Oh, good, yeah. And don't share it. If I, don't, if I feel guilt, if I feel shame, keep it in the dark. You want to know where it lives and festers and grows? In the dark. And just, you just mull it over. I don't, I can't, no one can find out. No one can know. And you know what kills it? Letting it out. Oh, you bring it to the light, you share it, and someone says, you know what, I hear that, and I love you. Oh, there's nothing more healing. I hear it, and I love you. Right? But if I don't believe that, if I don't believe that you love me unconditionally, if I don't believe that you would say that, then I have to just hide it. And it, it keeps you a prisoner. What? What else? I saw some other hands. What do you mean? Like, did you have something in mind? Yeah, good. Uh, what I call, and I call misguided, like the, like the theological, like idolatry, right? Like when I give my loyalty to something I shouldn't, um, I don't give it to God, I don't really give, maybe I don't give it to my family, maybe I give it to my job, or I give it to money, or I give it to something else, right? And that, that misdirected loyalty keeps me stuck, and it keeps me trapped. Yeah, M. So uh, competition itself, right, like I understand we live in a country that values competition in our sports and in the economy and other things. Uh, it's not like I think it's bad all the time, right? Competition can push us to be better than we thought we could be and all that. But man, the, the spirit of competition, the mindset of competition, of one-upsmanship, of winning, of getting the last word, of keeps me stuck, bitter, right? Instead of being able to love my neighbor, I'm in competition with my neighbor. And if I'm trying to beat my neighbor, it's hard to love them, right? If I feel like I'm competing with you. So that I think this can be a really uh, enslaved kind of mindset, right? No, yeah. Sorry, we'll go here and then back. Yeah, Sandy. It's <laughs> all. <laughs> um, no, no, so let me highlight something and then I want to make a comment about what you said. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I want you in your mind to have two categories and uh, there's more than this, but I'm going to give you two. One category are things that enslave me that are outside of who I am. They're like, like Egypt. Egypt is like an, a system of slavery that forces it on them through their military, right? Like the Israelites have literally been enslaved, right? And we have systems that literally keep people stuck and trapped, right? In poverty, systems of racism, of sexism. There's all kinds of ways in which we would say the external circumstances keep one from being free. Colonization, all sorts of things. Those are real, right? Uh, and, I, and I really believe like this mural, this mural is Egypt being drowned in the waters. That's what this is, right? Uh, a woman of color, Miriam, gets to sing the song at the end. 
The mural was painted by Laura James, a woman of color, to talk about systems of oppression. And we're called to break the system. We're not here just to be nice. We're here to say all of these, all the ways power keeps certain people from being truly free, we're going to work against those things as the church, right? Because that matters. You mentioned one, right? When we say this is who you get to love, this is who you get to be with, and this is who you don't, that feels oppressive. That feels like um, forced conformity. I, is, <laughs> yeah, her, Amanda's shirt says, bad theology kills. Uh, and like in some literal ways, like, like bad theology makes people feel hopeless, isolated, alone, judged, ashamed. And that, that kills, right? Um, so there are systems, and then there's a lot of the stuff we've mentioned, and I'm going to focus there today. It's the internal stuff that keeps us in chains. It's my own spirit and psyche. It's my own fear and anxiety. It's my own stress and worry. Those things chain me, right? But you see how both are at work? And we get both in the story. Moses goes to the system, and Jesus goes to the heart. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, yeah, don't kill, but also don't hate. Yeah, don't commit adultery, but don't even lust. Jesus gets inside of our hearts, our minds, our souls to set us free. And both matter. Both matter. Okay. So the goal is that Jesus comes to say, Joe, you don't have to live like this anymore. You get to actually be really free and live the abundant life. That the law of Moses, the law of God, the law of love is here to say, you don't have to be a slave to your desires. The story ends, and you know that love gets the last word, not hate. And you know that life gets the last word. We know the story of God. We know life gets the last word, not death. What are you afraid of? The end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives this new law, what's the last thing? He spends the most time on this than anything else. Do not worry. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They're clothed. They're fed. How much more would God, will God take care of you? Don't worry. Don't, why the anxiety, Joe? You talk about being chained and enslaved? Oh, all the time. God wants to set you free. God wants you to be free. Free to really love and to live fully and to flourish. And it sounds easy. I can stand up here all day long and say it, and in your mind you can say, yes, I think that's true. But the hardest work that you will do is actually taking the gift offered. It's like taking it in, putting it to work, putting it in practice in your relationships, in your habits, in the day-to-day -day interactions with folks, right? To live as a free child of God. It's the best life and the hardest life because it feels so unnatural. Anxiety feels natural. When I'm anxious, I feel like I'm doing something. <laughs> something really important because I'm so stressed. It, that's real. That's true though, right? And it's not. It's not real. So, take your shame and find a way to share it. And take your fear and find a way to exercise it. 
Take your pain and find safe people that you can confide in to talk about it with. Go to counseling. Talk with me. Go to lunch with a friend. Find people in your life that you can share and receive the love of God with. That's how chains get broken. That's how people get delivered. And that's the life that God's offering to you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that Moses is sent to be a deliverer. And we are grateful that Jesus comes as a deliverer. But now, you call us in this room to go and be deliverers. And that starts with our own hearts and our own minds and our own spirits. Lord, please, please give us the grace and the strength to do that, to live as free people of God, ready and willing to love and serve the world. Amen. Please stand as you're able for our closing.